Welcome back to the second hour of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Here again is your host, Jacobus Holloway. And we are back on the program. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway, and Chuck Martell with me in the studio as well. We are talking today with Eric Newhouse, uh, investigative reporter, uh, crusading journalist who uh, won a Pulitzer Prize back in 2000 for his work on um, alcoholism. He wrote a book. It's called Alcohol, Cradle to Grave. Uh, highly recommend the book. We had Eric on a few times in the past, I think 2001 or 2002 and 2005 also, where we elaborated on his work on his book. And uh, he also expressed to me at the time that he had a he had such an interest in war-related symptoms such as post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, traumatic brain injuries, etc. And because he is so connecting, he connects with the people he writes about. And uh, he still has contact with people he's written about in his book, Alcohol, Cradle to Grave, on a regular basis. And it shows you the, the, the quality of man that he is, not just to get the information, but actually be involved with the individual so he understands their struggles and their pain and their battles and that's how he can write it that's how he can put it down on paper and when you go to his website ericnewhouse.com and you click on faces of combat his new book faces of combat ptsd and uh, traumatic brain injury tbi and start reading the first chapter you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's uh, it's uh, wonderful. I hope that you have a chance to go and get the book. It's $18. It is an important read. It's not just about the fact that you read an interesting story. You actually read a story about true people right here in Montana in the Great Falls area and other research that Eric has done, statistics that he has. And it was an interesting call that we uh, we just had from John, and he was asking something that I was just thinking about asking Eric, indeed about the effect on women, PTSD in women soldiers. And so we're not just talking about the wives for the soldiers who are the male soldiers who are coming back or the spouses who are uh, left behind at this point and then deal with the stress of combat as soldiers come back, return home. We are talking also about women who have been in battle and as they, how they experience the war uh, through that. Now, Eric has some uh, information about that. Eric, I would like to talk about it a little bit more, give us some statistics. Uh, Eric, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Jacobus. It was a great question by John. It was. And I was really pleased to get it. Yeah, I was scrambling to put my hands on uh, uh, on a document that I needed, and uh, just came up with it a moment ago. Good. There's a really good book by uh, a woman named Helen Benedict. She's a journalism school professor at Columbia University, and the book is entitled The Lonely Soldier, The Private War of Women Serving in Iraq, and it's all about uh, female vets. In the course of that book, uh, Helen quotes several recent surveys conducted by researchers at veteran centers that show that nearly a third of female troops are raped by their com- comrades, while three-quarters are sexually assaulted and 90% are sexually harassed. It's so common that uh, that uh, there is now a new acronym, MST, Military Sexual Trauma, uh, which is sexual trauma uh, induced by a female soldier's uh, comrades. She also notes that the de- Defense Department acknowledges that despite its reforms, some 80% of 
military sexual assaults are never reported. Mm. Isn't that staggering? Yeah, would that be because, uh, wh- why would that be? Why would it be so high, 80%? Um, are they afraid? Are afraid? Uh, yeah, it's a he said, she said. Um, uh, and frequently, uh, uh, there's a phenomenon called date rape, uh, not date rape, um, command rape. Command rape. And uh, um, enlisted female soldiers um, uh, are taken advantage of by by the the officers, oh. either senior NCOs oh. uh, or uh, the uh, lieutenants and captains and majors, uh, and they never report that because they will be uh, accusing a senior officer uh, of violating them. And uh, those who do report it find that generally uh, the the aggressor uh, says that it was consensual sex. Uh, They have no way of proving otherwise. Uh, The captain's word is accepted uh, over the uh, female specialist's word. Uh, and uh, there generally never is uh, any result from reporting it. So a lot of the women who are taken advantage of uh, figure it's useless uh, to try and report it and never do. But, you know, you talk about consensual sex. Now, let's say that women would report what is going on. It is one thing if you have a, you're a superior officer and you're being accused of uh, rape and you say, you know, this was... It was consensual sex, but if that name of that specific officer comes up on a regular basis over several years, don't you as an investigator, you or somebody in charge in the Army or Navy or any of the military forces come to the point and say, how come his name always pops up? I would think that that would be the case, Um, but it goes even beyond that. I don't think that any superordinate has any right to have a relationship with a subordinate. That's a good point. Uh, I, I think that uh, you know, that ought to be declared a crime, and if uh, you know a, a captain is having sex uh, with, a, with a female soldier uh, who is subordinate to him in rank, uh, that that ought to be considered uh, grounds for court-martial. Yes, it's, that's excellent. Yeah. You know, I, I teach out at the University of Great Falls. I've been teaching out there for 20 years. Uh, and uh, in those 20 years, uh, yeah, there have been some um, very attractive young women who have been students of mine, uh, and there have been several of them uh, who have suggested uh, that we have some sort of a relationship. Um, <clears throat> I'm married, obviously, so I can't. Uh, um, uh, but I could not even otherwise, uh, because that is a a sacred relationship in its own way uh, between a, a teacher and a student and uh, introducing new elements to that uh, sexual elements relationship elements uh, is just flatly wrong yeah. some of my colleagues I know have bent those rules uh, but I, 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 I think that's that's something I can't do and shouldn't do hmm. you mean and if, I think the yeah. same thing applies uh, to uh, to the military Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know if I if I'm an army captain uh, and uh, I I should not be having any personal, physical, emotional, sexual relationship uh, with uh, with people that I'm serving with. Yeah, we're talking with Eric Newhouse from Great Falls about post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, traumatic brain injury. Eric, uh, TBI. Can you explain us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, traumatic brain injury uh, occurs when uh, you know, when there's an explosion nearby and your brains get shaken up. Uh, basically, uh, what it is, uh, there are a lot of um, IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices, which are roadside bombs, uh, and they are uh, they're designed to uh, go off beside a Humvee, uh, blow it apart, kill the people in it. Um, there are also uh, a lot of rockets uh, that are uh, exploding nearby. We're getting a lot of soldiers uh, who who are losing consciousness. Uh, basically, they're getting shaken up by the bomb blasts, uh, and their brains are uh, are being you know, splashed against the inside of the skull. Oh. Uh, there is uh, some cellular brain death uh, death that's immediate. Uh, but it also is an ongoing thing because uh, some of these uh, cells, brain cells, that are being slashed uh, up against the skull later die. And so there is a continuing um, deterioration, brain deterioration, uh, as a result of TBI. Wow. We are finding that it's it's much more prevalent than uh, than we ever had seen before uh, for two reasons. One is, uh, well, three actually. One is that there's more of these things. Uh, we never had to deal with IEDs before um, mm-hmm. or roadside bombs. But beyond that, we have better uh, triage, better medical care, and we have uh, Kevlar body armor, uh, which is protecting uh, the, the body of, uh, of our soldiers. So we are bringing more wounded soldiers home than we ever have uh, in the history of this country. Uh, we're, I think during World War One and World War Two, it was about a two-to-one ratio, uh, two wounded soldiers for one dead soldier. Huh. Um, by Korea, it, uh, it was increasing. Um, and I have the statistics in my book. I, I can't remember them exactly. I think it was like five or six to one in Vietnam. Uh, but today, uh, with the Kevlar body armor and uh, tremendous medical care, we're sending home 16 wounded soldiers for every uh, soldier who's killed. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more amputees than we've ever seen before, but we're also seeing a lot more uh, brain injuries. Yeah, the blast that would have killed soldiers um, two wars ago uh, now is uh, creating traumatic brain injury, and these kids are coming home. Traumatic brain injury is not unlike post-traumatic stress disorder. It has many of the same symptoms. Uh, there's a, a, a brain loss. Uh, there's uh, a confusion and an anger uh, about uh, not being able to comprehend in the way that they previously had. Frequently, uh, it's mixed in with depression. Um, and uh, it's... Uh, it's something that we have just begun to diagnose. Uh, it's something that we have no idea how prevalent it is. Although the uh, Department of Defense estimated recently that uh, as many as 360,000 soldiers coming back from Iran, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan may suffer from traumatic brain injury, while another 300,000 may develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Hmm. Those are... Staggering Staggering numbers, yes, yes, absolutely. That's a lot of kids uh, that are going to be needing help. Yeah. Now, you uh, talk 
you you would like to address actually some examples. Uh, we we heard the story of anger uh, for Dave and Danielle Belcher. Uh, you also mentioned the word the word hypervigilance. You, you're talking actually about different symptoms that uh, happen to a soldier who comes home. Um, you already say that the Rand Corp. Uh, corporation estimates that one soldier in three, one in three soldiers will return with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and or major depression. And uh, yeah. you mentioned that the symptoms include hypervigilance, anger, mm -hmm. nightmares mm -hmm. and flashbacks, booze mm -hmm. and drugs, mm -hmm. divorce, homelessness, and also legal problems. And I'd like to hear more about it, but we have somebody who would like to weigh in today. Caller, thanks for joining us. Your name, please. How can we help you? Hi, my name is Sue. Hello, Sue. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a son who is um, going to be going into the Marines. And, um, excuse me. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Yep, I know. Every parent's worst fear. Yeah. yeah you've got to back them. You've got to trust. Uh, you've got to be confident. Uh, you've got to be supportive. Uh, and it just eats your insides up. Yeah. Um, yep. I have I have two questions. One, mm -hmm. um, is there anything you can do to prevent it or at least get him thinking in this direction so he can work through it while he's over there? And then the second one, he will be an officer. So is there anything he can do to help his men and women? Wow. Yeah. Send my book over with him. Uh, that, that will be a good start. One of the things that we know uh, is that it's very, very important uh, to maintain close family ties uh, and to to prepare everyone in advance um, before he leaves. Make sure that uh, the family is close around him. Make sure that uh, he's got a support system. Uh, if he's married, uh, make sure that uh, he and his wife have uh, have good quiet private time together uh, so that they can uh, they can build those bonds in the strongest way that they can while he's over there uh, he needs to be alert uh, for changes in himself he needs to be looking for isolation um, when he's isolating himself uh, yeah, he's going to be getting worse uh, he needs to be helping giving to others watching them uh, there's a whole checklist of syndromes that he'll need to be uh, looking out for in his men uh, and when he comes home he'll need to be looking uh, for those same symptoms in, the, in himself one of them is the hypervigilance yeah. um, if he can't reset his uh, emotional clock back to normal and he's constantly feeling that he's under threat uh, he'll that will be natural for a while but if that goes on for more than a couple of months uh, then uh, he probably will need to seek help for himself. One of them is anger. Uh, one of them is depression. Nightmares and flashbacks are common among uh, uh, these kids. And if uh, if he begins to get night terrors, um, find him help quickly. Um, a lot of these kids are going to self-medicate with booze and drugs, uh, and if you see an increase uh, in 
close and talk to him about what he's going through. Um, a lot of these soldiers, when they come back, are afraid of what they've done. They can't talk about what they've done. Uh, and they begin to isolate themselves, and the isolation only makes things worse. Uh, and so if you see him withdrawing, um, find a way uh, to, to break through that and talk with him. And if it's too severe, you'll find a counselor that he can talk with. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sue, and all the best to you. God bless. Uh, this is exactly what we're talking about. Uh, indeed, family that stays behind. And you led your son that you have done so so well uh, to educate and inform and value, give him values, him or her, if it is your daughter going to combat, uh, give him values to, to all of a sudden let him go. Uh, Sue didn't say how old her son was, but she says he's going to be an officer, so he must be a little bit older, I would say. Um I'm just curious. Probably graduated from college, probably early 20s, I would guess, Jacobus. Yes, I see. It's uh, Well, she did mention the Marines, and I, I go back to that article that I mentioned earlier. The military experiment seeks to predict PTSD, uh, where they do talk indeed about uh, uh, Marines and some of the tests that they are doing. And I mentioned earlier... Um, uh, let's see. The work is funded by the Marine Corps, Veterans Affairs, and Navy Medicine. Last year, about 1,000 Marines were recruited before leaving for Iraq. It says over here, um, they're talking to these soldiers before they go to combat, and it says, groundbreaking research research published last year on adult survivors of child abuse suggests that specific variations of a gene increased their chances of developing PTSD. Scientists believe there may be many other gene variants that contribute to PTSD risks. Marines also underwent a blink test to gauge their startle response and neuropsychological screening. This is all done before they go to battle. They filled out questionnaires and were interviewed by psychiatrists with a checklist to diagnose PTSD. Um, before deployment, let me see here... Um, Actually, this also talked about Fort Hood, where the uh, shooting was a few weeks ago. Uh, similar research is ongoing 1,300 miles away at the University of Texas at Austin, where scientists have collected detailed health data from 178 soldiers from nearby Fort Hood, where re who recently came back from Iraq. The base was the scene of a massacre on November 5, when an army psychiatrist opened fire, killing 13 people and wounding dozens more. The shooting has not affected the research, which enrolled first-time deployed soldiers. Unlike the Marines, the soldiers filled out monthly questionnaires online while in combat that tracked their experiences, such as whether they saw a roadside bomb go, off, bomb go off or knew of a wounded body. Before deployment, soldiers submitted a DNA sample, had an MRI scan of their brain, and inhaled carbon dioxide as part of a stress reaction test. Early results suggest soldiers who reacted more strongly to the CO2 test and who were exposed to more stress in the field showed greater PTSD symptoms. This is what Chief Researcher Michael Telsch of the University of Texas Austin Laboratory for the Study of Anxiety Disorders. So uh, there is indeed some work done ahead of time. Uh, uh, her son is in the Marines and 
maybe he did uh, submit to one of these tests. Maybe he was one of the ones to uh, who was able to uh, to get some research done before he goes to combat. Certainly, I do hope. Yeah. I, I do know that the Marines tend to be in the thick of things, uh, and they tend to be uh, uh, they tend to be the guys uh, who try to carry on the hardest, uh, do uh, much of the uh, worst work. Uh, and who come home trying to hide the damage that uh, that they've been through. Yes. I talked with a Marine Corps uh, lieutenant colonel, uh, a guy named Mike Zakia, uh, who's up in um, Rochester, New York, uh, Westchester, New York, I'm sorry. Mike was uh, just a great guy. Uh, his wife, Marcy, remembers him as, as being a perfect gentleman, just a sweetheart of a guy. Um, great physical shape, a great sense of humor. Uh, she just loved him to death. And then he went off to um, to Iraq, and his job was to teach the Iraqi soldiers how to be effective. There goes that music again. There goes the music again, Eric. Uh, you, I know we can talk for this whole weekend and not even get done with everything you have to say, but we yep. have to run to a short break. Uh, please keep that story so when we come back, we'll jump right on that about uh, Mike uh, Zakia. Um, this is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway. And Eric Newhouse with us in the house talking about PTSD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> 